Hello there and a very warm welcome to Wade In. Barry Orr standing in for Vanessa Royal, who's uh, winging her way back to rainy England off the back of a couple of days out in California under the sun and the Breeders' Cup, which was a, a great renewal of the Breeders' Cup, I think it's fair to say. Kevin, how are you? Yeah, great for him, Barry. No, no rain and gold and the sun always shines in golden, as you know. Um, really enjoyed the weekend. Um, I'm fond of the Breeders' Cup. I don't, I don't maybe get as into it as some now, but um, I, I do enjoy watching the European horses and seeing how they shape up. Um, the dirt stuff wouldn't really be for me, but even Cody's Wish even uh, even got us uh, dirtophiles um, mm -hmm. a bit fired up there. That, that was nice to see as always. So, yeah, great weekend. Loads to pick through. Um, thought the Breeders' Cup turf in particular was an absolute pearler of a contest from stride one to stride zero. So, yeah, can't, can't wait to chat about it. We'll get there. Cody's wish would make a glass eye cry. Brendan, you you went deep on the, the racing on Saturday night and didn't make it to the Cur on Sunday. Yes, yes, a, a, a few drinks. But it's it's easy to get swept up in it. They put on a great show. Like Kevin, I, I enjoy it every year. And um, I was very envious of Vanessa because if you were going to go to one, what a one to go. The sun is shining. Every jolly in the place is going in. It must be just a complete <laughs> back and out. Uh, so uh, yeah, but it was it, it, it was enjoyable to watch in, in in rainy Dublin as well. Yeah, it was enjoyable to watch TC, wasn't it? We we kick straight into it with you. Three of the best rides ever seen on a race course. Depending mm -hmm. who you're listening to, was it William Buick on Master of the Seas? Was it Ryan Moore on Augusta Rodan, or was it Frankie on Inspiral? Uh, none of the above. You won't be <laughs> you won't be surprised there. Um, well, one one landed there. <laughs> Well, it's, I just think people embarrass themselves, don't they? Uh, and I'm sure if you said something similar to Ryan, he'd say the same. Um, especially with Ryan, you've, you've got to you've got to put it into context. Is they let him have free reign about what he wants to do in the race? Um, you speak to him beforehand. Uh, you speak to him about draws and stuff like that. He mentioned it first thing he mentioned when we were talking about the Melbourne Cup. We'll come on to that later is that, you know, you just kind of like see how it all unfolds. And the, the beauty of him and the relationship he has with the lads and Aidan O'Brien is they don't criticise when he rides for luck and it goes wrong. Uh, and they don't over... And he doesn't overpraise himself when it goes right. Now, that August Rodan could have gone very wrong. Um, clearly, he would he would probably like the ride on content and, and Aesop's fables back. And... But he rode it round the inn. He rode it for luck, um, and he got it. And visually, it looked brilliant, didn't it? I mean, it was an optimal ride, but not every optimal ride is a great ride. Um, I've dealt with him for about probably ten or eleven years. I've only heard him once praise himself for a ride, and that was I was trying to wrap my brains, and I came up with it this morning. It was Adelaide when it won the Cox Plate, and if you want to see a great ride. Go back and have a look at that. I mean, he held it up last, came on the uh, on the wide outside, and nailed the favourite late on. That's the only time I've ever heard him praise himself. And I think if you said to him, you know, that was one of the greatest rides of all time in August Rodan, he, he would literally laugh in your face. Um, similarly, you know, with Inspiral and Master of the Seas, I, I, I mean, they're brilliant rides because they're winning rides, aren't they? But, you know, it's... I just think a lot of people embarrass themselves by saying stuff like that. Yeah. Kev, did, did, I suppose with a gust road and he did ride it for luck, didn't he? You can't you can't take it any other way. It was just he where he was where he was and the gaps appeared at the right time and he got the solo up the inside. Is it just as simple as that or is that oversimplifying it? 
Oh, and then there was so much going on here, Bar. Like I went, I'm, I'm doing a new thing there in the Betfair column every Friday, and I'm going kind of in depth on one race. And this was the race I went into, and so I, I found myself very, very deep into it in terms of anticipating how it might pan out and what might happen, and then should a whole thing. And I'd say what Bally Doyle were thinking. Uh, a big spanner got thrown in the works when Bolshoi Ballet was ruled out. He would have been a big player in the early part of the race. And like having, having kind of, I suppose, talked deeply about what everyone might want to happen and how it might pan out. Like this is a race where I say pretty much everyone, like plan A, plan B, plan C, all went out the window like very quickly. Like this race didn't look at all like um, most would have anticipated it. Like Broom completely blew the start. He He would have been going forward. <laughs> He ended up prominent, but like he wasn't able to put as much pace to the race as they would have wanted. Uh, Gus Rodan, which he has a couple of times, he was just a length slow to start, just a length, but like that gets punished fairly heavily um, in America. And up to the mark, came across him twice, you know, and basically Ryan, and as he said as much himself after the race, like he ended up kind of way further back than he planned to be. And then, like it, it's, uh, I was doing it all this morning and recapping it there for the after races column, and I was watching it in, in depth. And like he, he might have been happy enough, kind of after four furlongs or that. And then like it's a race that changed so many times. Onesto, um, Maxime Guion, all of a sudden came from behind Ryan and got upsides him, like right in the middle part of the race where you wouldn't expect moves to be made. And all of a sudden, like Ryan was pretty much put in jail at that stage, and he he no longer had much control over what happened and he was a hostage to what happened in front of him and like it couldn't have panned out any sweeter like Sharar the Japanese horse decided to come off the rail and look for a gap when if he stayed put he would have got the dream run but he came off and that allowed Ryan all the way up the inside and the leader just managed to take two steps off the home turn that opened up a gap for him um, so like you couldn't go down the road of greatest ride of all time because of course he was a complete hostage to what was going on in front of him but in a race where, you know, quite and quite a few of his rivals now made, you know, pretty questionable decisions with safety first in mind, you know, Ryan committed to the brave route and he got the look he needed uh, and he won the race and won it quite well, won it easing down. He actually got a whip ban, Ryan, yeah. um, which, which would be very uncharacteristic for him, but that's reflective of what we know about Augusto Rodan. Like he gets quite idle uh, and parks when he's in front, so he felt he needed to keep that pressure high to start to stop him stopping, if yeah. you will. Um, so like it was a fantastic race to watch. Like a few of the riders in behind that would really want another go. Um, like Jim Crowley, Mustadaf, uh, mess of a ride, if I'm honest, you know, Frankie, King of Steel, not dissimilar. Um, like a lot of, a lot of going forward and coming back and lo- looking for the outside and giving up position as a result. It was, it was messy. Like Sharar definitely should have been second. Um, it, that was more bad luck than bad judgment. He he went for a gap that was there, and the one in the one in front of him came out, and the one outside and came in, and he ended up running out of room. He was yeah. second best. The American horse was second. He got he got a pretty beautiful spin the whole way around. But yeah, I could keep talking, Bar, but I won't. I thought it was a fabulous race, and uh, in fairness to Augusto Rodan, like when the gaps appeared, Jeezy he pounced into them and uh, was very good. Uh, it's interesting what Tony says, Brendan, about that trust, the complete trust that Aidan O'Brien and, and the Kilmore guys seem to have him in him. And obviously that's earned over over a number of seasons. But um, he wasn't as much a soldier to fortune in terms of the draw as Inspire the Master to see what was, though. Um, and it just panned out for them, right? Like Tony says, you know, not all 
winning rides or great rides, but those two in particular to come from behind like that, especially to turn a foot in spiral. And she stays oh. on training the next year. Well, well, hopefully. I mean, I suppose she she's a, she's a filly who she has she has a few issues with missing the break and running keen, but they seem to have been ironed out this season. She she was a touch keen, I suppose you could say on on Saturday, but she's relaxing better in her races. She actually broke quite well, although um, the, the, then her next step was a little bit slow. So 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 she got back. But I mean, what a, what a filly she is, you know the the time boys. I know that's a a downhill turf track, but the time boys were absolutely drooling over her last couple of furlongs. The, the the, the number she puts, she just has a wicked turn of foot, and she she's become. Uh, maybe she maybe she always was fairly straightforward, but she 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 seems to be getting more mature with age instead of going the wrong way. In terms, of, I mean, she was unlucky in Ascot. She should have won in Ascot. Didn't handle the ground in Goodwood, uh, but uh, I mean, brilliant in Deauville, dominant in in Newmarket, and again, just. Just a spectacular sight to see see her coming down the, the straight. And I, I, I think the lads are giving a, a shout out to the magnanimity of uh, Ryan Moore. And we should say the same about Buick. Buick gave Master of the Seas a terrific ride, but he gave him the ride he had to give. Because when, you, when, you, when you're in that wide draw, you've got two options. You either go forward to get as a, a, a one or two off the rail, which you can't do at Master of Seas. I mean, he was very on edge of the preliminaries. He just he lives on his nerves, that horse. So you have to drop in and ride for luck. And I'm sure if Buick had the commentary in his ear, he would have been delighted to hear the commentator. They're very good, the American commentator seems there. The, 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 the pace is hot, 22 and change for the first two furlongs or something. So that worked out really well for him. And then he goes for that slingshot run around the bend and gets up to win a fag paper. But I mean, Oshin Murphy, in terms of a ground saving trip, he had, he had a middle draw. He manages to get the filly over for a rail trip all the way around. I, I guess if you're a jockey and you're beating a fag paper, you go back and want to beat yourself up to think, could I have got any closer? I don't think he yeah. he, he, he he could have. I, I I thought he he I, I thought his was actually the best ride in the race. That's no disrespect to Buick, but Buick did what he had to do. And that the, the, the horse was good enough to cope with um, yeah. w- w- what is a very difficult assignment. I thought that was the race of the night, actually. Yeah, it's worth mentioning as well. Ryan Moore, I'm, I'm warm heart. I, I thought that was, you know, just getting mm. nodded on the line. He did nothing wrong there. Mm. You know, I thought that mm. was a fantastic ride. In the I, I, I tell you, I tell you, Barry, what was an interesting feature uh, of that race was if you watch the, the 100 or 200 yards after the line, like in spiral is like, yeah. it's like absolutely power clear. Like she wouldn't be like people like far from being the greatest ride of all time. And, and there was, there was much to like about it, but like, I think she was much the best and she's ultimately won a neck in the final stride. Um, you know, I know there were circumstances at play there, but um, like she's, she's a very, very good filly. I, I, I found her hard to work out at times through her career, but she's getting a bit easier. I think, and um, like this setup just suits her really well. Like Gosden made mention afterwards, God, maybe we've been running her over the wrong trip all along. Um, we know the Frankels, you know, stay quite well. Um, and I did never, and I, I really hope she does come back and we get to see more of her over 10 furlongs. Like they'd never, ever do it, I don't think. But um, she would absolutely dance in in a, in a Cox plate. She'd be the perfect type for that. Um, short, straight, big turn of foot. Um, fast ground, you know, she would absolutely hammer the Australians if they sent her down there, which would be lovely to see, of course. Um, but yeah, you'd love to see her a little bit more um, exposed now over this trip on fast ground because, geez, she's very, very good. TC, did you want to come in there? No, I, I'm just saying, I, just a couple of things. I mean, a great ride is 
it's, it's a race, winning a race, you know, that you shouldn't really have won. And I don't think you could really uh, attribute that to any of the rides um, over the weekend. And another, I wasn't aware that there was a six-strike rule in the US as well. I mean, Ryan's copped a 20 grand fine, didn't he, uh, for going one over at seven. So I wasn't aware of that either. That's a, it's just well, a couple of side notes. Though. Yeah, that's the that's the he said uh, the the new the new rules that have come in recently around like lots of things, and um, that they're kind of they're struggling to get to to deal with these rules in America, but they're they're getting there and they're trying to get a bit of uniformity across the nation. Well, well I was surprised. Paddington came into my head about you know rides that Ryan would like back, but there's never any criticism from them. If there was any criticism, they keep it in house. And mm. like I said, it's. Uh, it's, it's. I just. I. I read some of the comments and it. I just. I just. I shook my head at it. Really. I yeah. Did. Some. A lot of it was OTT in that respect. Sorry, Brendan. Did you want to say something there? Well, I just wanted to ask Kevin. I know the the, the hissa things are, are recent, but the uh, Richard Dutro got a ten year ban. Now, my understanding of American sports is they're enthralled to the needle. So, was he using the horses as actual drug mules? How the hell did he get a ten year ban? <laughs> yeah, I think if we want to draw a parallel, I think Dick Dutrow and his um, fortunes could be, you could consider it a parallel or almost, now it's a perverse one, but you could consider a parallel to Rona McNally in that he, he did wrong, but he, he was very, um, what's the right word? There, there was a lot of... Um, there was What's a lot of bravado about it. Oh, no, okay. no, lot, there was a lot of public bravado about it. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think, what's the, oh, his, his big horse, um, what's a big brown? Like, I'm nearly certain, um, I'm, I am certain, uh, he went on telly before before uh, one of his big races and there was talk of um, drug use at the time. And at the time, they were allowed to use um, steroids therapeutically in America. And he went on TV and basically said, like, very cavalierly, oh, yeah, Big Brown gets a sh- and details aren't right now, but Big Brown gets a shot of Winstrol, you know, once once every two weeks. There you go, you know, like very and it, it wouldn't he wouldn't have been a popular fella um, okay. because of because of his, his brashness, etc. And the, the 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 view was that he got hit much harder than he than a, a mild mannered fella would have. And um, no, obviously that's you know that's pub talk really, but and they actually repeated that funny enough on the NBC coverage. Um, in, in the aftermath of the race, um, but yeah, that, that Breeders' Cup Classic was a, was an uncomfortable one in a number of ways. Yeah, we, just, we should mention it. We talk about why Abara winning the Classic for yeah, it's kind of like you know, it's bring back El Zaruni over here, isn't it? That's that's the big, that's that's the thing that you could really. I think Zaruni got ten years as well, and he's eligible to come back whenever he's ready. Yeah, and and the and the other. Elephant in the room, somewhat with, with the winner uh, White Barrio is not only was is he now trained by by Dick Dutrow, his former trainer, um, up until like months ago was Safi Joseph, who who's been, um, like a, a subject of massive controversy. Um, ultimately was um so, somewhat exonerated, but um, like he he was banned he was banned from having runners for a while because a bunch of his horses dropped dead on the track and uh, earlier this year, and like he, he was. He found himself in a right old storm, and you know, ultimately, this horse was, you know, won, a, won an optional claimer back in March, and now he's won a Breeders' Cup Classic. So it, it all adds up to a, to a picture that probably, yeah, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not making insinuations in that, but from a from a perception point of view, it wasn't one that um that the the American racing uh, scene probably would have liked. Talking about fatalities on the track, 
and vets in at the Breeders' Cup in Santa Anita. Had we any fatalities on the track this time around, Kevin? Um, I don't think there was. There, there now before the, the build up to the meeting, there was um, on the track, but um, on the night, um, on the two nights, I don't believe there was. Open to correction. Um, I know Mountain Bear, um, Aiden, Aiden's horse, that finished second in the in the um, juvenile turf mile or whatever the, the, the correct sequence of words is. He he got a, a little fracture that needed surgery, but he prognosis is good there. Um, so. Uh, look, there was a lot of talk in the build-up to the meeting about the veterinary protocols, um, Look, which are part and parcel of international racing now. Um, you know, We've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast over the years in Australia, um, uh, Victoria in particular. They've been a real hot topic down there. And in America in recent years, they've, they've come up quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to remember, Freddie Head, you remember, had a horse, Polly, Polly, was a Polly Dreamer. And was very well fancy for the Breeders' Cup a few years ago and was pulled out in a, in a very contentious set of circumstances. And we had a bit more of that um, during the week. Um, River Tiber, not allowed run. Give me the Beat Boys, not allowed run. Um, and a few other Europeans as well. There was quite a bit of um, upset um, around some of those withdrawals. And then, of course, the video came out of Give Me the Beat Boys being trotted up. And um, anyone that's familiar with these setups was looking at it, you know, go- you know, in disbelief at the surface the horse was being asked to to trot up on. It, it was looked extremely amateurish uh, for something so important. And that raised frustrations as well. Um, you know, the Americans, the American vets came on and tried to justify and defend themselves, saying there's a variety of surfaces offered, etc. But that particular surface, there shouldn't have been any horse trotted up in it. Um, so he, uh, one one would hope that Brendan's um, Brendan's key phrase will be will will come to fruition here, and that lessons will be learned, and that next year, um, you know, a, a uniform, uh, much more professional surface will be provided for the, for these very important things. Because as I'm sure any of us, and indeed anyone listening, can imagine, if you go to the expense and uh, commitment of shipping a horse all the way to America to run to have them. Um, withdrawn because they trot um, a little bit unevenly on a surface like that, um, you're going to be pretty frustrated. Um, so uh, it was pretty unsatisfactory. Um, look, all well intended, um, but you know you got you got to be professional in your execution, and, and that scene wasn't a very professional one. But with zero fatalities, TC is is the have the vets been vindicated and erring on the side of caution, like very very much towards the the, the caution end of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, I caught up, I didn't watch any of the Breeders' Cup live. I, I w- literally watched it all on Saturday morning and, and Sunday morning. And I did see that that video that Kev's referring to about, you know, the horses trotting up, et cetera. Um, it just seems absolutely bizarre. And, you know, we're talking about big money here, aren't we? And, um, and you know, if you've got a potential sire, et cetera, um, you don't really want that on your CV, did you? Got pulled out because he wasn't kind of like, you know, trotting up soundly and things like that. So, um, look, we're, we're living in an age where caution is everything, isn't it? I mean, I think even just this morning, I think Cleveland's been uh, scratched from the Melbourne Cup, uh, hasn't he? So I'm not sure. I, t- I think he had a temperature now rather than it being yeah, a name. Horses get temperatures all the time, don't they? They, you know, you pull up, pull out stiff, etc. It's, you know, it's perhaps we are right and erring on the side of caution. But when you get eighteen scratchings on the first day of the Breeders' Cup, I'm not sure if there was some kind of behind the scenes chat after that. How many did we scratchings did we get on the Saturday after the eighteen on the Friday? 
No, Manny. It was a much calmer scene on Saturday morning, seemingly compared to Friday morning. Yeah, it's quite, you'd imagine someone's had a word with somebody and said, look, we just can't do this because if that was replicated on the Saturday, you'd, you'd be decimating some of the races. I mean, Aiden was was brilliant, wasn't he? I, I don't know who, I don't know if he came out, came out with a line, you know, uh, off Pat or someone gave it to him beforehand, but he's lying about... You know, you don't you don't route with a pope when you're in Rome. He's was just a, a worldie, wasn't it? So uh, fair play if he's come out with that kind of like off the cuff. But I'd think someone said to him, a PR man might have said, just say something like that. That'll take all the heat out of the. Equation. I don't know whether he was getting confused with when in Rome do as the Romans do, but it, you know he's a religious well, it, and he's a pioneer. So. But, but, yeah. the, the, pope, the pope line was kind of like he was like, just like superb, wasn't it? He was, well, it was very it was very diplomatic because I mean he'd be in Richard Dutro might lack diplomatic skills, but Aidan O'Brien certainly doesn't because. I wouldn't. I mean, if, if if that was me and I was Aidan O'Brien and I, I was the master of Bally Doyle, the best facilities in the world, the best work riders in the world, I would guess the best bets in the world. They don't seem to mind spending money there. That if someone said to me, you sent this horse over and it's not fit to race, I'd say, right, well, we're going and we're taking them all. We're, we're, we're not running at this sham of, of, a, of a meeting. But 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 he, he, he didn't say that. And of course... Uh, had had a couple of winners, so uh, he he got his reward. But I mean, h- how the the vets can can turn around, and as you say, the expense in in getting over there. You're not going to send a horse over there if it has any sort of a niggle. These are the professionals at 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 the top of the game. If the horse has a niggle on the day, they're not going to turn around and say, "Ah, just just run it. We've come all this way." They're, they're just not going to do that. They didn't get where they are by taking those kind of chances. And. Uh, but, uh, I wouldn't I be surprised was, if the lawyers got involved on on Friday. Well, I, I thought it was I thought it was an awful look. Um, um, well, uh, well, that's that's the thing, though, Brendan. It's because it's what it's what these actions insinuate. What, what the vets are basically saying is, yeah, you, you know, we, we don't think your horse is fit to run, and you do. But so we're going to take we're going to take that yeah. decision out of your hands and uh, and not allow him to run because he's not fit to run, but you want to run. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrible. It's a terrible insinuation to make, and again, we we know it's well intentioned, but like you say, you know, it's, you know, we're talking about stallion prospects here. Like, do you think anyone in their right mind would run, uh, you know, a hyper valuable stallion prospect if there was any danger that there was something that they knew about that could potentially lead to a breakdown? Like, they, you know, yeah. it's just it, it's ludicrous, really. Well, and well, funny, funny enough, Barry, I, just because Tony mentioned it there, there's a funny aside there about these rules. I mean, Tony mentioned Cleveland being being withdrawn. Um, he was declared to run in the Melbourne Cup. He's trained in Australia now. Um, he used to be trained by Joseph, yeah. and he would he would he would have been a he would have been a very obvious candidate for the Melbourne Cup last year. But he earlier in his life, when he was in Bally Doyle, he got a fracture and needed a screw, which is a very routine thing. But race in Victoria, and um, in their wisdom, when they brought in all these rules um, regarding international runners, um, any horse that has had orthopedic surgery is not allowed run as an international in the Melbourne Cup. So he was never a candidate to be allowed running the Melbourne Cup for Joseph. The horse was sold, moved to Australia, and because he's not an international, he's he's allowed running the Melbourne Cup. You t- you tell me, you tell me that's about uh that that's about all about horse welfare. <laughs> Kevin grinding that broader big axe he has for our uh, our Southern Hemisphere friends. Listen, let's kick uh, on here and we'll talk about I want to mention two things before we leave the Breeders' Cup. Mick Appleby. Uh, uh brilliant, see- yeah. Great training and performance. Big abs. Yeah, it's just shades of August Rodin, wasn't it? Everyone, everyone kind of like 
might have wrote him off for the seasons after the no-show and the non-fought. But yeah, brilliant for a, a smaller, even if an up-and-coming trainer for that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a great result. And Brendan, yeah, yeah living the dream in the sprint. Folded to finish yeah. fourth, but, you know, they're going to have a lot of fun with him next year. Absolutely. I mean, the non-torp run, I'm still inclined to agree with Tony that it's a, it's a bit of an outlier. His his form since has suggested he was the horse he was before the non-torp. But um, yeah, very likable, straightforward horse and uh, ran another good good race. Maybe if, if the cards fall right, he could pick up another group one. Likable connections too. Yeah, a real breath of fresh air, his trainer, isn't he? He's not your standard racehorse trainer by any ways or means. Listen, let's kick on to a review of the week and domestic action uh, we'll have a look at, at um, Brave Man's game and the Charlie Hall TC now, I remember before TC you were never really fully 100% sure of him with his finishing no. uh, prowess and, and that kind of was exposed now Nichols would say Paul Nichols would say he just wasn't fit he was racing against given six pounds in fairness to what is a pretty decent horse because Mouse Morris doesn't talk up his horses but he, he was quite effusive in his effusive in his praise of um of the winner on Saturday. But did he just show a little shortcoming there, um, Brave Man's game that he emptied so quick, or was it just cobbed and holding them together so well? I, I remember when he won a, a two mile five graduation Thanks. chase on on you know Betfair Chase Day about two, three years ago. I wasn't I wasn't sure about his finishing effort there, but obviously subsequent efforts in the King's Jewels in the Gold Cup suggest, you know, I got that wrong as well. So but I've never had him down as a massive strong finisher, but I wouldn't hold that against him in. I mean, he traded what well, traded 107 on Saturday and um, you know, on that kind of ground, you'd give him a pass with you. I mean, obviously he does stay three miles very well. He stays obviously a bit further, staying as a relative as you know, but no, I, I wouldn't be too downbeat. I mean, the second uh, this, the winner is actually, um, he looks a decent tool, doesn't he? Really, I mean, he was second over two mile four previously, inadequate trip, only his third start over fences. Now, I would, um, I wouldn't be too downbeat. I haven't, I haven't watched your digit diary with pulled on on Monday morning yet. I will do later. Um, I imagine he's. I imagine he wouldn't be lying down after that. And he said the Betfair Chase still might still be a possibility. Yeah, it's on his agenda, the Betfair Chase. He's a five to one chance for that. He was 12s, he's fives now, is he? Yeah, he's fives now. He was 130 going into the race on Saturday for the Betfair Chase. Off the back of it, he was a 12 to one chance. And now that Paul has said that he's a potential runner there, ground permitting. And you'd have mm. to say, you know, the rain that they've had in the UK and apparently the long range forecast is not great. I wouldn't be holding my breath for him making it to Haydock, but if it's anyway decent going, he, he'll go there, which is great yeah, to see. A big, um, <laughs> a big plus for you for the race. I mean, I'm told that Shishkin is going there, so that that could be a, that could be something to put out to protect her at. Yeah, that'd be yeah, great. But, uh, Barry, did the gentleman's game not get the credit he should have got here? Um, like I, inevitably, like a lot of the pre the post race focus was on the runner up, like, but. Like this, this is a horse having his third run of his life over fences, and he's just beaten Braveman's game, like in receipt of six pounds. But, um, like you know, Braveman's game obviously was very long at the last, and, and it probably cost him a little bit. But Gentleman's game wasn't foot perfect at the was the third last himself. And like, I thought this was a really good effort, like third run over fences, you know, relish the step up and trip. He's going to be better again over a bit further, you think. And and he's 25 to one for the gold cup, like, yeah, true. I thought that was, um. 
said in his interview on Saturday that um, Mouse wanted to go to Down Royal, which was due to take place obviously on Saturday, and take on Jerry Colomb. Mouse, I don't even think, knew that Jerry Colomb was in the same ownership as this <laughs> game. So obviously they had to split them up. And it's interesting to see Jerry Colomb has entered in, uh, well, it could potentially run in the Betfair chase as well. But like you say, 25 to 1 from 66 to 1 gentleman's game for the Gold Cup. And uh, yeah, another, another illustration, Barrett, that the most, the most, and I strongly believe it, I'm not just jesting, the most overrated factor in national hunt racing is experience. I really do believe that. You got the, you'll have these lads tell you, oh, horse has to have a full novice season before they can go in against these season chasers. Here's this lad, no novice season at all, hardly, third round of his life over fences. Yeah. Goes in and beats one of the best staying chasers around, you know. Well, has been exposing that as well recently. To yeah, and, uh, fa- faster, slow as well. Another one, you know, like that's yeah. throw, throw him in there, lads. Uh, or, sorry, not, not not faster, slow. Um, I'm thinking of Emmett Mullins's horse there. I was oh, running in bumpers and it ended up winning. A, ended up winning a Grade One novice chase the same season he was winning. Um, winning bumpers. So, yeah, yeah, throw him in there, lads. Uh, for only. In your novice as a jumper, though, wouldn't you? I mean, I thought it was an exceptional performance from Gentleman's Game just to keep up with Brave Man's Game. Look, Brave Man's Game, I reckon, is the best jumper of offense in training mm. at any trip. I mean, he's just incredibly so quick and accurate. Brave Man's Game was losing a little bit of ground to him in the jump, or Gentleman's Game, should I say, was losing a little bit of ground to him in the jumping stakes, but not much. He's a very good jumper, too. And, um, I suppose the only thing you'd say is whether the, the last cost the, the, the horse or not. And obviously, I'm not going to come on and criticise Cobden. There was some talk that he should have kicked on. But the fact that Brave Man's game did make a mistake at the last would suggest he wasn't holding on to a lot. Because it wasn't like Cobden wanted a long one. He wanted him to get in short. And I think mm. the horse was too fatigued to organise his feet and just threw himself at the last. So uh, there's no way it was Harry Cobden's fault. Just, um, just uh, you're talking about the 25-1 to 1 gentleman's game. Whenever I... Whenever I see a quote, a uh, fixed odds play, I, I go straight to the um, exchange market. And I just see now it's, it's actually 26 to lay on the exchange gentleman's game. So it's probably an indicator that the 25s could be coming under pressure. Okay, Kevin, just sticking with the chasers, let's be clear about it. Yesterday, over two and a half miles in Cork, he got a quote of, he's 14 from 20 for the National Hunt Chase, and we put him into the Brown Advisory first show at 16 to 1. You were quite taken with him. I was, I was. And should look, you, you always go into these novice chases at this time of year with, you know, with a bit of caution because, you know, there's plenty of anti-post slips that we made look a bit silly with fellas getting carried away at this time of year before the real big guns come out. But, um, geez, he was impressive. You know, he's got, he's got plenty of classy form going back. And, um, by the looks of him, he's going to be just a, a much better chaser than he, than he was over hurdles or a bumpers because, um, geez, it was just the way he traveled. Like, he just traveled everywhere. Like, he was literally, like, pulling, coming down to the third last with Sean Flanagan. And as soon as he gave him an inch of rain, like, away he went. And, look, he was beating a chasing debutante in in, um, in Mighty Tom, but, like, he was, he was a 141 hurdler. And um, he just won with his mouth open. Like, he won so easily. Um, like I, I, they're talking about the Drinmore. That would be the obvious um, next port of call. And, look, he'll have some bigger guns to take on there, but... I wouldn't like to be underestimating them now because, gee, like that was that was shocking, impressive. Dare I say, Barry? He's, he's, he's a horse you'd be talking about again on road to Cheltenham. Are they um, uh, Betfair betting only racing only better Cheltenham podcast that you're going to be doing for the lads? Remind me to take that bit out, Brendan. Uh, Brendan, I'm going to come to you on the supreme. Uh, or, or, 
Tony with you for the Supreme. Django by 20 from 25 for the Supreme after winning in Ascot. The, the two point Irish point to pointers pulled well clear to third. Yeah. Um, I, I said on rating any better, it was quite perhaps significant that Nico stayed for to Ascot for one ride on this horse rather than go to ride Lucia um, in the free city, in the mayor's hurdle um, at Weatherby. Um, the second's really well regarded. They pulled mile clear of the third. The third pulled a mile clear of the fourth. Even though, you know, the temptation is, you know, it's only a narrow victory. Uh, I'll take a positive view of that, but uh, talk of Cheltenham at this point is 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 not really for me. But uh, yeah. no, I, it was, uh, I think there's, I think there are two good horses that contested that race. And, and another two-mile hurdler, novice hurdler, who actually I was even more impressed by, uh, there's a horse called Primoz that won the first at air, the Cinder Russell horse. Uh, I think that was quite a hot novice's hurdle for air. And God, he was impressive. Um, again, if he was he was a Willie Mullins horse, we'd be getting quotes of 12 for the Supreme and stuff after that. But uh, no, look out for a horse called Primoz. Uh, I thought okay. he was devilishly impressive at air. That's one for the notebook. And I talk to Cheltenham a bit premature for you, but maybe something a little bit closer to home. Botox has for the Beffer Exchange stairs hurdle on Beffer Chase Day. It's a £125,000 race. He's eight to one from 14 to one, slogged it out well. But would you consider him for that at all? Um, he actually, it'd be interesting to see what the handicapper does with him. I mean, on a strict form line with Red Risk, who he beat. Uh, Red Risk is rated 144, and um, Botox Hall has given him, um, uh, basically beat him that kind of weight. So I don't know what that handic- the temptation is. The handicapper might stick him up a few a uh, few quid because um, obviously the the former horses underperformed badly, uh, especially Time Hill, never really really travelling and did well to stand as well as he did. But uh, it will all depend. I, I haven't had a look at that whether it's an early closer, whether he picks up a penalty for that. Or whether the handicapper can possibly, you know, reassess him for that. But I don't think I don't think the handicapper can go can go too mad on him, given what the second was rated. But uh, really, really gutsy win uh, under a penalty. Yeah, the second going to Newbury on um, uh, Carl Gold Cup Day, uh, according to Paul Nichols. Um, Brendan, the mare's hurl. You wear it well. Um, mm. Eight to one from twelve to one. She's gone the right direction, isn't she? Well, she's going in the right direction, I suppose. <clears throat> Excuse me, from a Cheltenham anti-post point of view, she's going for that race. So that simplifies things. Uh, she's only had nine runs. She's a, a, a Cheltenham Festival winner. Another, another tick in her box. This was a really good performance, giving a, a pound to a smart mare in Lucia over a suboptimal trip. I mean, eight to one seems a very fair price to me. Yeah. I, um, I, I wouldn't have many in front of her for the, for the mare's hurdle. And then the triumph early yesterday, Burdett Road, uh, they didn't do anything with that. It was unchanged at 33. Yeah. Harry Cobden seemed to be really talking it up for a for a three-year-old hurl. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was surprised. I mean, he's 100 horse on the flat, so you absolutely have to respect him. But Harry sort of gave up fighting him at the halfway stage and let him stride on. He didn't jump particularly well, and it was just he did so much in hand in terms of ability in between the hurdles. He'll certainly need to brush up his jumping if he's going to be a triumph hurdle contender, but it was only his first run, so maybe. Okay, fair enough. Well, let's kick on, lads, to a topic that a couple of really meaty topics that has to be said. Kevin, I'm going to come to you to start with. Dennis Hogan was, um, well, I don't know whether you'd say acquitted. The case that was to be presented by the IHRB, they're not 
presenting evidence at their own case and therefore it's fallen by the wayside after three years yeah like this was this was um god how would you label this this was bizarre wasn't it um because this relates to a race that took place just before lockdown one in a in march 2020 um, like a, a, an infamous race, it's fair to say, a claimer at Dundalk. And um, there had been updates every now, now and again about the investigation, a very wide-reaching investigation. Um, like, uh, I suppose, notoriously, the um, the BHA were taken on board by the IHRB. They subcontracted out their betting, the betting investigations element of their um, integrity units, the IHRB did, to the BHA right before this race took place. And the, the talk was that the, B, that the BHA betting investigations unit like were heavily, heavily stuck into this. And sure, look, it's, it's been a, a clearly extremely glacial progress. We were told that this was like a an incredibly wide-reaching and thorough investigation. Um, my understanding is the is that the, the document um, summarizing all of the investigation um, ran to over 400 pages long um, and we got to where we are now which is the final furlong before the, the much delayed referral hearing which was to happen this week and last week out of the blue the IHRB have released a statement saying that they will not offer evidence at the referrals committee in in, in respect of this issue um, like the reason they gave was, was bizarre in itself they said that they that follow, I'll, I'll read, um, following the recent belated production of relevant records and reports by the respondents, which had been sought by the IHRB since the initial stages of the investigation, the IHRB has decided that it does not intend to offer evidence at the hearing before the referrals committee. In effect, a nulle prosecute, um, probably pronouncing that wrong, but essentially it means um, that the, the, they're not going to contest the case. Now, Dennis Hogan then released um, a statement of his own. Um, which basically criticised the IHRB for releasing what, what he called a, a self-serving press release. And he said that, um, quoting Dennis, we shall we shall make our own submissions to the committee at the, at the appropriate forum shortly. So like I had assumed from the IHRB's statement that the hearing wasn't going to go ahead. Um, Dennis's statement, I don't know, uh, you can read it a number of ways, hints that it might go ahead, but the IHRB might just not be giving any evidence. Um, the whole thing is mad, and it's it's a very unsatisfactory conclusion to the whole thing, because whether any right or wrong um, took place, you know, I think there was a there was a, a, a hunger from the racing public to see this play out and get an insight into what actually happened um, because, uh, as we would have said at the time, like from a perception point of view, like this did look particularly bad. And looking bad doesn't always mean that something wrong took place. But um, we, you know, I think there, there was a very much a hunger there to, to to find out what actually went on. And it seems like this isn't going to happen after like a massively, like a dare I say, an unprecedented depth of investigation. And you know, I don't think it'll end here for the IHRB. Um, they have found themselves under um, pretty heavy questioning, um, like from, from on a on a on a government level in terms of what they're doing, how they're doing it, how they're spending their money. I can only imagine this investigation cost a huge amount of man hours, a huge amount of money, and now it's seemingly going to come to nothing. So um, I, I dare speculate that the whys and hows that we've ended up here will be scrutinised um, on in, on a public front. Um, so yeah, that's where we are. Dennis is currently suspended. 
um, for, for another offence. He'll be due back, I think, uh, September, October, November. I think he'll be due back at the end of this month or the beginning of next month. Um, and on he goes. I'm sure it's a, a big weight off him. But um, lots of, an awful lot of um, unanswered questions that uh, uh, I suspect this won't be the last we hear of. Yeah, TC, what, what the optics of this look really, really poor for the IHRB. Are you getting that from the UK or are you reading this any differently? Well, I don't think it gets, obviously, it's, it's getting more pickup over in Ireland than it would here. But I just went back and familiarised myself with the case this morning before we did this. And it just looks terrible, doesn't it? I mean, um, you've got a big switcheroo with stable mates and owner mates uh, in the betting beforehand. Um, the betting on on Betfair on the exchange, it was 18 bar two. Um, you've got Yufton, the big drifter, returning lame. Um, you know, I remember when we did some filming at Sandown in December 2021, and we, we were having a chat about this between ourselves then, and uh, the feedback, you know, we, we got was, it's imminent. You know, we, we're going to get, we're going to get a, a, some finality to this, to this case here. And, it's dragged on, and then we've got, you know, we've got evidence from vets uh, being introduced. Uh, I just want to know what it, what that, what this kind of like, what that evidence was, because we know that Yufton returned lame, and presumably that's why. I don't know if someone clocked it beforehand, and, and that's why the, the the betting accelerated on the day near the off. Um, it just, you know, it just looks absolutely awful because. Um, and for this to be dropped at this stage, there has to be a reason. There has to be a legal reason. Uh, and I think we all deserve to know, for transparency purposes, what it is. Because if you look at that race in isolation, it just looks absolutely woeful. Yeah, yeah that's the key, isn't it, Brendan? Transparency, isn't it? Like we're lacking transparency here on both sides. Well, well, very much so. But uh, and I could see. Uh, you see, I don't know enough about the law, but I, I I could see a way where Kevin says that the the politicians or the 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 oversight of the IHRB and Irish Racing in general want to see that four hundred page document. But are you entitled to show it to people if it hasn't had its day in court? I don't know. Like, will that four hundred page document ever see the light of the day? That's a lot of evidence. Like, I could only cope with that in audio book form. You know, three years they put that they, they've taken to put this together. They have a case. What was um, the, the 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 pin that was pulled out of this four hundred page balloon? I mean, it must have been it must have been some kind of pin. So, will they just say to the politicians, "Well, we took three years, but we we weren't sitting on our hands. We have this four hundred page document, but one small thing went wrong, and we had to pull the prosecution." Now, Hogan wants to get himself on the record. So he's going to go into court and the, the, there's going to be a record where the prosecution say, well, we're not proceeding with the prosecution. And then I assume the judge says, well, if the defence has anything to say, they can they can get it on record. I guess that's that's the, re the reason he, he's doing it, to say that he, he, he has been persecuted. So I, like the lads, would like to see that 400-page document and it would take me some time to get through it, but I would. And just try to understand they have an awful lot of evidence clearly um, around betting patterns which we know are very very difficult to, to, to prove and you can get into some murky waters but they have some evidence so I'd like to see it but are, are we allowed to see it is the question I'd have. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, it appears that Dennis Hogan will have his say on the matter. I think he's as as much as outlined that himself. Kevin, you've not dad there, have you? No, like it's it's just confusing. Like I just it, like if if one wanted to get into the realm of speculation, like you wonder, you know, as, as we know, when solicitors get involved and things get very heavily scrutinised, like in terms of trying to think what could have went wrong here, like I just wonder. Um, have, have the legal teams from from Dennis's side maybe unearthed some um, technicalities, some procedural yeah. um, um, issues in terms of the investigation that that was made. That when put to the IHRB, you know, they said, "Oh God, right, this what well, we, we we may not have ticked all the boxes here, and that if this is held up in a court, we're we're gonna we're, we're not gonna get the result we're seeking." Did they, and, not produce, they, did they not produce a vets report that like yes. could have been recorded? Yeah, there, yeah like time. there would have there would have been like you know as Tony says like it was you know public knowledge that the horse was lame after the race. So again, you're trying to think of what could uh, what what possible piece of veterinary evidence three and a half years after the event could they produce that would completely kibosh their investigation? Um, and it's hard to come up with. Well, maybe it's a perfectly reasonable explanation, but. You'd also, again, in the realm of speculation, you just wonder, is that a red herring for something running, running a bit deeper that went wrong in the, in, in the course of the investigation that made them reluctant to present their case? Um, the whole the whole thing is a mess now, and you'd like to think that but as much as we wanted to know the ins and outs of what actually happened that night at Dundalk, I think we, we just as much now want to know the ins and outs of what happened and what went wrong that, that, we, that they haven't been able to pursue the case after putting so much... Um, apparent, you know, effort and rigor into their investigation. What you, the point you made there, very briefly about, I think I, I was racking my brains this morning. What could possibly have, have, have prompted them to to actually withdraw from this? And the only thing I could think of is what you mentioned there—a procedural matter, uh, uh, you know, uh, just something in law that should say they haven't followed their own guidelines. We've had similar uh, comments and and. And happenings over here with BHA cases where they've had to withdraw from, you know, prosecutions or, you know, possible kind of like um, findings and, and penalties, etc., because they haven't followed their own legal procedures. And whether or not, whether or not that's that's happened here, I don't know. But that's the only thing I can think of. All that, all, all the, it could well be that they've challenged the fact that Yufton, you know, return lame. They're challenging this to the actual vets on the day. I don't know, but. It just it just seems to me that it, there must be some legal mis- mismanagement here for that to be pulled at this uh, this eleventh hour. I think everybody will be watching with bated breath to see if Dennis Hogan does make an appearance at the referral, and if he does the statement, what what that holds. Um, let's kick on, lads, to the affordability petition that's currently um, um, that's been signed by racing fans throughout the UK at the moment. Now, as an Irish racing fan, you can't sign it from Ireland because you can't influence uh, a bill in the UK. But if it gets to 100,000 signatures, TC, it becomes uh, considered for debate. Now, it's not necessarily going to certainly be debated, but it will be considered. And you'd like to think strongly considered. Yeah, um, I've got no problem with this whatsoever. Um, Clearly, uh, I've experienced a couple of affordability checks in the last year or so. Um, As I said on numerous occasions, I've got no problem providing the details. Clearly, I'm in a minority here. And clearly, it's a big, big issue for the the, uh, finances in the sport. Um, 
I'm not sure if it matters whether you hit 100,000, because like you say, it's only considered for debate. I don't think it'll be a high-profile debate when Matt Hancock, of all people, was uh, was kind of like chosen from the, by the BHA to kind of like push this forward for discussion in Parliament. Only 19 MPs rocked up and um, we've got the added, we've got the added uh, kind of like confusion of if the, you know by the time this does hit the, hit hit the hit Parliament, you're probably not going to have a Conservative government, are we? I mean, there are about fives on not to be there, so it's it's very confusing. The the issue is, I don't think it's going to make any difference. Uh, this, I mean, like I said, it's it's well intentioned, but I think a lot of people are criticising it. I, I had a conversation with. Channing about this, about um, Neil Channing about this about a couple of months ago after he appeared on Luck on Sunday, which is notable for its complete lack of balance on this for the last couple of years. And and he he's uh, we're discussing about you know whether this is all you know too little, too late doing this at the eleventh hour. And he came back and said, well, actually, the eleventh hour is the time to do this. It's the time to get, get onto your, your MPs and, and and make a case for it, but. I think a lot of people are just saying, why is betting, you know, chickens come home to roost The betting is vitally important. I mean, I, I've made the case numerous of times over the last years that, you know, racing has racing and betting, you know, we don't do it very well on TV. We, you know, we don't really kind of like factor in punters too much. And if this does come to pass, I mean, is, is anything going to change for punters? It's only because losing punters are being caught up in these affordability checks that is really kind of like impacting on the finances of the sport. And um, I'm sure the levy board and Alan Del Monte and the levy board are kind of like you know, just wishing this all away, these affordability frictionless checks, et cetera. But um, I hope common sense, you know, lands and these affordability checks are reined back. Just like I said, I've had first-hand experience of them, but I'm a bit cynical about, why this has come to pass at the last minute. It could well be that they just think, Jesus, there's a massive financial black hole that's going to happen here if, if these kind of come in on any level whatsoever. But, uh, yeah, I hope, it, I hope it succeeds. I hope common sense um, it does come through, but I, I can't see this, um, this petition making any difference whatsoever because even if it doesn't trigger a debate in Parliament, how many are going to rock up and... As we've seen with Hancock in the last week or so, you know, wanting to play life and death with with people in in the COVID, he's he's just a he's just a lame duck figurehead. Yeah, yeah, that's sobering words, really, isn't it? When you've Matt Hancock leading the charge for Newmarket, uh, Brendan, mm -hmm. have you a strong opinion on this? Have you gone through these checks yourself yet, Brendan? At any stage, I I I they didn't ask for documents. I had a phone call to say. Um, do you feel like you, you, you're betting above your means or, you know, do, do, does it put you on tilt? They, 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 I'm paraphrasing, obviously. I, I can't remember. That, that would be referred to as a safer gambling interaction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And sometimes so, you get guys, you know, and they, they answer the phone. They might say something like, oh, yeah, nothing a couple of winners wouldn't cure. And the person, oh, what's <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, whoa, that's yeah. a red flag. I, 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 I've, had, <laughs> I've had them as well. I mean, like I said, if you have a bad week, you'll get an email. You might get a phone call. But all you've got to do is be very polite, very open, very honest yeah. with these people. Uh, and just interact with them. The worst thing you can do, a good friend of mine went through this. 
And he said, no, I'm not dealing with it. And he literally wouldn't pick up the phone. And when he did pick up the phone, he literally put it straight down on them. And I just said to them, what do you expect them to do in them circumstances? It's kind of, all these people say, oh, I'm not providing this, I'm not providing that. Just, just interact with these people. And if you do think it's too intrusive, then fine. But you've got to accept the fact is that in an age where bookmakers are getting hit with seven, eight-figure fines, you know, for, for problem gamblers and some, some horror stories out there, they have to, you know, the operators have to protect themselves. And that that is just a reality of the situation. Now, you can knock the gambling commission all you want. And trust me, you know, you can knock them royally. You, you, there, there are two sides to this. And I think the lack of balance in this debate from day one has been editorially mismanaged. Interesting, Kevin, have yeah. you an opinion on this? I saw you you posted posted it on Twitter or reposted it on Twitter. You're keen to get people to sign this, which is... Yeah, I, I did, Barry. My view in the petition itself is basically what bad can come of this? And the answer is nothing. There's no bad that can come of it, only good. Um, like like you've mentioned, if it hits the 100,000, the debate's only um, considered. So it's not a certainty to actually achieve anything, but it does... By its existence and by driving people to it, you're 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 engaging people with the issue and making them aware. And look, I don't think I think you can do only good. How much good? Perfectly open to debate, but I, I was happy to um to endorse it anyway. Um, like and it's just and I think that it was actually a, <laughs> it was an eye opening experience in itself just posting it because uh, it actually highlighted what has been like one of the a major problem for betters. In this part of the world, like for a very, very long time, like just 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 to take a, a a pure random sample, if you go onto my tweet about the about the petition and look at the comments underneath, it like it does shine a light on, on a real fundamental issue that betters have in that they've always been and probably always will be like a very disunited bunch, like a very polarized response to the fact that I was putting it up there. You know, someone saying, oh, great, happy to sign, etc." Others saying, oh, well, you're only talking about it now because you're, you're, you know, racing's under a threat and you might lose your job. And, you know, where were you when restrictions were, were the big talking point? And like, there's always been a big lack of unity. And like thinking back a few years, like I, I used to write a lot about um, stake restrictions and bookmakers, like, like a lot. I used to write about it regularly six, seven years ago. Um, at the same time that the minimum bed limits were being introduced in Australia. And that seemed like something that we could really campaign for in this part of the world. And the fundamental problem that, that I found in trying to get any movement on that was, again, just a complete um, disunity amongst betting people. Nobody wanted to get together and put together a representative group, which look as 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 dosy as that is that's how you get things done in the game you 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 bring people together as a representative group and represent them um to 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 where they need to be represented i know the horse racing betters forum is, has been there for quite some time um you know the the gambling consumer forum has been formed relatively recently in light of the affordability checks these are all great things but this needed to happen a long time ago you know the, in australia um, betters have like a much more united and powerful voice and they were able to campaign for things like minimum bet limits, um, uh, you know, quite a while ago. And it, it's just frustrating that we've got so far along the path, and we're now we're now in a situation where betting is being so um, demonised as a pursuit that we're facing up to these type of problems. Like again, I know that we're we're all on board with we're responsible gambling, etc. But the notion that you, you know you're getting 
you're getting phone calls if you have a, a bit of an iffy week. Like, it, it, it's mad, really, when you think about it. Like, and I'm not, you know, we all understand why they're there, but, um, you know, what other walk of life are you subject to that level of scrutiny in your spending, you know, and in your adult decisions? Um, I just personally, my, that's my, just my personal view. Um, I, like, I think that's, that, that's a, that's a fair way over the line in, in my mind. So look, it, it, it's sad that we've got this far and now we're so far down this road that we now face like a really serious threat to the sport and the financing of it. Like, and I think things like the petition, um, are going to serve to focus the minds of like prominent people in the sport and industry that have no interest in betting. And there's a whole heap of those and a lot of them are influential and they would have been, that's why we ultimately ended up in a situation where a lot of the action being taken here is probably a little bit too late because an awful lot of influential people in the game, they just aren't tuned into betting and they aren't tuned into the the, the mechanics and the, the finances, et cetera. And, you know, it's just, I find the whole thing quite frustrating and we're going to face into similar problems or in Ireland too with this advertising ban, et cetera. I think we've been a little bit more proactive in Ireland on, on facing up to that. Don't know if we'll get a good result. But um, look, these, these are all like really concerning things. Um, and one, as Tony says, we can only hope that common sense prevails and we get a good result. But you know, I think we're I think we're odds against at the minute um, in Ireland and in the UK. Listen, yeah, I, you, I, I just wouldn't say very quickly. I just I wouldn't hate Hancock leading the charge. I have to say, I mean, he's very much he he he's not a lo- a loved figure, granted, but he was a very yeah. high profile politician, and anything he does would be new. So if they did happen to get the hundred thousand, I'd say there's a chance that he'd have the political notes to get the debate done. That's all I'd say. I wouldn't just totally no, dismiss absolutely, absolutely no chance. He is probably the biggest barrier to success this has got. I mean, did you did you listen to what he was claimed to have said at the COVID inquiry? It's kind of like, you know, he literally wanted to be the arbiter of life and death going into about where this spread to and stuff like that. Last week damaged him absolutely stone dead. Pardon the pardon the phrase. Ah, the, it, these political comebacks, Tony. I wouldn't dismiss the Hancock. I wouldn't dismiss Boris Johnson. The big wheel keeps oh, on turning. You know, I wouldn't dismiss any of them. Uh, but honestly, I mean, like I said, he was he was there was a big push where he he drove to Parliament last month. And they only got 19 MPs turning up to the debate. Well, 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 okay. well, that's true. It might take some time, but I would refer you to the Betfair Exchange to see who the current favourite to be the next American president is. I'm not saying it's going to happen, <laughs> but these comebacks... Well, Matt Hancock, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, quite, he's quite welcome to fuck off over there. <laughs> Listen, let's finish on a brighter note. We've the Melbourne Cup in a couple of hours, guys. Vauban, your favourite at nine to four, six without a fight, gold trip seven to one. It's just this would would crown a special couple of days for Ryan Moore, wouldn't it? Vauban, TC. Well, I, I saw he was been trading at around about because I, I spoke to Ryan before uh, he left for Santorini. I spoke to him on um, the Saturday morning before Royal Ghost Road and one. And um, so I, I went to the, uh, the, the market on the exchange. He was like 3.7 to lay. And, um, and I was chatting to him about it. And it's kind of like, they, they clearly fancy the arse of it. I mean, I spoke to one of the connections of Vauban. And as I said, I gave I gave the Ryan's column as a, out of a courtesy. And they just come back to me and said, well, you could have just saved all the words there and just put just wins. I mean, they just literally <laughs> won't hear defeat about him. But one thing that was really, really amused me 
Did you see that? They, they Did they do that thing in Australia where they have bookmakers on there and people shouting bets up to them what they want to have? Did you see that on Twitter this morning? No. <laughs> so they have bookmakers there about what they're willing to lay because over in Australia, they obviously got a guaranteed lay margins and stuff like that. And there are people from the audience over there's a big punter shouting out bets to say, I want 250 grand on Vauban at five. And I'm and the obviously the bookmakers there going, well, I'll lay a hundred grand of that, I'll lay fifty grand of that, and stuff like that. And I'm just thinking, why would you do that? I mean, I'll have a million quid at five, please, and I'll lay it off at three point seven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. I mean, it was just an arbor's paradise. Go and have a look at it on Twitter. It's quite amusing, but yeah, it's fair to say they just won't count on his defeat there. But again, what we said, they'll probably just give Ryan rope to ride it as he was from, from track three. And if he hits trouble in running and, you know, those connections bad. Was it to Tory that gave Max Dynamite a shocker in that race? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Whether or not they'll just say, take the, take the coward's route riding, riding wire for trouble. Cause we've got so much in that. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be the shortest price. For ages, isn't it? Yeah, for a long time. Kev, mm. a quick mention about Keita Soshi. Uh, it's back from 101 to 33 to one. It's five places mm. each way, punters each way in that race. A few quid knocking around for Joseph's run. Uh, yeah, sure. Look, hopefully he was supposed to have two, but Valiant King got ruled out there relatively late. Um, I, I think trip. I think the I think the race was suited better than um, than the Caulfield Cup. That was just a little bit too quick for him over a mile and a half. Um, look, he'd be a huge price. Hopefully he runs well, but if he you know, if he finishes top six, uh, that would be considered a great result, I'd say. Um, like, I wouldn't be lashing into Bob out of the short price now. Like, people are talking about him like he's, like you know, like he's got 10 pounds in hand. Like, you need to be the best there in training if he's got 10 pounds in hand, literally, to, to win off this type of weight. Um, they've, they've copped a good draw down low. He need to be sharp from the gates. And, like, if you watch him back in the in the, the copper horse, like, he's just, he's just kind of a length, length and a half slow to start. And you wouldn't want to do that down there because they bomb in the early stages and then put uh, and then put the brakes on and at stall three like there's very little margin for error if you're a little bit you know a little bit slow away you'll end up locked up in mid-div um, before you know it so and look I love the Melbourne Cup I slagged the Aussies the whole time but uh, I love the race um, I wouldn't put Jeff Willie's second one actually um, absurd sure, I think yeah. he's got a better chance than uh, than his odds suggest but I'm uh, looking forward to it I'll be up Barry the, the alarm will go off and I'll be watching it is this not always slowly run the Melbourne Cup? They just love no, they, 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 they go they go very quick and establish a position and then they heavily put the brakes on. Would would be a typical Melbourne Cup. Um well, I, the, I mean then, I, I I'm not gonna tell Roy Moore what to do, but he'll definitely have the horse up there. I mean, if they, if they put the brakes on, I wouldn't be surprised to, to, to see him take the lead because as you say in Ascot, he was off the bridle miles out, and then he just galloped for six furlongs. He's not gonna want to dawdle this horse, is he? Yeah, it'll just be the first furlong because if if it, like for example if he did miss it by a length and a half, like the Aussies, like the the biggest sin you can commit as an Australian jockey is getting caught three or four wide. So like they are obsessed with getting to the rail, and if you're that length and a half slow, and you've got twenty coming from outside you looking to get in, you know you you can just end up getting shuffled back a little bit quite quickly. And if that was to happen, I, 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 he'd be he'd be drifting pretty heavily and running in my mind at least. But uh, that first furlong, if he can get him out and prominent first five or six, you know he, he'll have a great chance. But just, geez, he's just, he's, he's rated one hundred and fourteen, lads. He's, it's, just, it's just remember, just remember, if he wins, it's the greatest ride of all time. If he gets chin by <laughs> nose, <laughs> he's in the doghouse. Just one thing we should mention before we wrap up: Henrietta Knight's back. Uh, I think Marcus Armitage broke that story in the Telegraph. 
That's a bit mad, is it? I, 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 think she's, I think she's 77. Yeah, yeah. The thing about it, every, so many trainers reference her. I think even I've, I've read something about Nikki Henson sending horses to her to, yeah, for him to go to school. That, yeah. She does a lot of she does a lot of the training for the trainers. So I'm wondering if that's going to stop now. But wonder if that had any bearing on on our return and stuff uh, like that. But, and so. Do you remember? Do you remember twenty years ago when she was campaigning on best maiden? She used to get absolute dogs abused for the way she campaigned them so sparingly. She'd probably be considered an aggressive campaigner now. <laughs> now in this day and age, with, with, with four, four or five runs a year, jeez, Henrietta Knight's hard on them, isn't she? There's two words you wouldn't <laughs> put with Henrietta Knight: aggressive. For sure. <laughs> word. Listen, gentlemen, thanks for your time. If Vanessa was here, I'd be giving out to her for running over the hour. So I've only myself to blame this time around. Uh, TC, Kevin, Brandon, thank you very much for, for the last hour or so. Uh, just to remind everyone, the boys are back on Thursday with Racing Only Better. Until then, please gamble responsibly and talk on Thursday.